0: Good morning, guys. Good morning, good morning. It's good to see you. My name is Steve. Uh, I am the lead pastor here at Trailhead. Um, I'm having like a, a surprising like, moment here, like for real, to see these faces. Like I got up here and did the offering thing, and I'm like, oh, crap, why am I, why am I crying? Um, yeah, I'm feeling things. This is weird. Anyway, it's good to see you. Um, it's been years since I've seen your faces. <laughs> When I've been preaching. Uh, anyway, you'll have to excuse me. Um, all right. Uh, I want to let you guys know that coming up on Thursday, March 24th, I, w- I would love for you to just like right now make a mental note of it. We're going to have our Restore Network uh, fundraising banquet. Um, if you don't know what the Restore Network is, uh, it is a phenomenal nonprofit serving in Southern Illinois. They, uh, The mission of the Restore Network is to transform the culture of foster care so that every child can have uh, a safe and loving home in a time of crisis. And uh, the Restore Network trains up um, foster families. They recruit churches to partner, then they they recruit families. They train those families in trauma-informed child care. They do a phenomenal job. Like a lot of foster parents end up in deep water because they just don't know what they're getting into when you're dealing with kids that have had trauma in the early years, they've dealt with separation anxiety, they have attachment disorders. Um, they, they train parents in, in how to work with those kind of challenges. They raise up a community around those families so that when someone takes a, a foster child, there's a community around them supporting them with material goods and, and other things like that. Uh, we are a Restore Network church. Um, I am on the board, um, and uh, we have we have a number of families that have been part of the Restore Network. Um, and uh, and as we move through this year, um, I would love to actually see us get more and more involved. Uh, it is the need is great that I can't explain to you. Um, being on the front lines of just seeing what's happening, uh, we work with the foster care system and. Um, the number of kids in crisis has only increased through the pandemic, um, and uh, trying to find them safe and loving homes uh, to, to be in uh, during that time of crisis is, um, uh, of course, of vital importance. It is a very, very practical way of simply living out the love of Christ. It is a powerful way of being the presence of Christ um, in self-sacrifice and generous love, and then supporting families who are stepping into foster care is a real and, and powerful way uh, to, to help make a difference in our community. Um, and so uh, we're going to be having a fundraising banquet. And so I would encourage you to join us. We're, we're, uh, Brian and Maggie Pop are going to help organize it. Brian and Maggie Pop are the ones that introduced me to the Restore Network. They're a family here at Trailhead and Maggie's on the board with me and, and um, uh, is, they're going to be organizing it. Uh, and um, it's a great place, honestly. Uh, if you don't know a lot about Restore Network, you will come and you will hear some great stories. You will get some insight into the ministry. There will be an ask. Uh, there will be an ask at, of, at the end of it uh, for people to, to donate. So, you know, let you know up front, all right? That's, that's part of it, but it is a worthy organization. It is, it is a nonprofit that is doing something phenomenal. Uh, tell you how good they're doing. Uh, the Illinois um, foster care system, they call Restore First. Like, they're that good. The homes are that good they're that consistent we we have that little um disruptions uh so when when a foster care child goes into a home and it's not a good fit then there's a disruption they have to go to another home then they have to go to another home uh that's one of the things that that foster that restore really prepares they they do a great job matching kids to homes so there are minimal disruptions and and um, the illinois foster care system loves restore network like the state is leaning on this christian organization to provide safe and loving homes for these kids. And so that banquet is coming up on Thursday, March 24th. Okay. So it's, it's about two and a half weeks out. It's a Thursday night, Thursday, March 24th. I'm going to put more information in the newsletter this week. Okay. So that, that weekly email that you get that you don't read, read it this week, um, open it up, and there will be a link in there where you can email Brian and Maggie Pop. Uh, if you don't get the email, just, just swing by a connection point in the lobby and they'll make sure that you get on the email list, okay? So that you do get those, those weekly updates. But go ahead and put a mental note on that. I would love to see you there. Love to see you there. I would love to have a strong turnout. It's a virtual banquet again this year. Uh, again, COVID stuff's just easier. Uh, but we'll be meeting here and, and we're going to be, the plan is uh, at this point to share a meal and, and um, have some fun together and then, and then uh, connect with the, the banquet presentation itself via, via video. All right, um, I want to pause again this week. Obviously, the, uh, the situation in the Ukraine, or in Ukraine, continues to be uh, a developing uh, situation, amazingly. Um, uh, the Ukrainians are, are withstanding the siege, um, and... Uh, Even this morning, um, even this morning while we're sitting here, um, there are bombs falling and and shots being fired. Um, There are foreign exchange students that are trapped in cities with no escape routes because um, uh, the ceasefires aren't being honored to create humanitarian corridors so that people can leave there. leave the cities and and get to um, places where they're safe Um, it is uh, overwhelmingly brutal as war is Um, and uh, yeah so i want to pause and um, i've written prayers i've said prayers Um, i'm going to go back to psalm 10 again i just psalm 10 is is a a prayer uh, that was written um, specifically about authorities who use their authority to bring death instead of life, to hurt instead of bring blessing. Um, so I'm going to read this again, just Psalm 10, and, uh, and I would love for us to just sit in it and allow it to become our heart's prayer um, for, for the people of Ukraine um, and uh, uh, for this world situation. All right, Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not see him. All his thoughts are there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws them into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God is forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account, but you do see? For you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. So that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. And all of God's people said, amen. All right, this morning we're heading back to Romans 8, y'all we're heading back to Romans 8, grab your Bibles. Let's go to Romans 8. If you don't have a Bible, grab one off the chairs around you. In our Bibles, we're going over to page 944. Uh, if you're using an app, go ahead and grab that. Um, I do encourage you as we work our way through the book of Romans, um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, of writing in your Bible, okay? That's why we hand it out to the members, ESV Journaling Bibles, specifically for the book of Romans, um, because it's just helpful I mean it really is the notes and the underlines and the comments and um and, you know it's funny as i've been doing this uh i don't know ever since i became a believer you know um and and my kids absolutely love to go back into my old bibles and my old books um in fact when they read a book they like to grab the one off my shelf because it has my notes in it uh and it's kind of a kick to me it's a kick to them to be able to, it's like interacting with me in the text um i never thought of it you know but it's a but it's a record for me too like, I go back, and it, it reminds me of things I've seen. It reminds me of ways I've interacted. So, uh, go ahead and write in your Bible, y'all. It's okay. That's, that's what it's there for. Um, and if you have one of our Bibles and you don't have one, just write in that one and keep it, okay? It's all good. Um, you know what never gets old? You know what never gets old? Finding money on the ground. You know what I'm saying? Like, that never gets old. I remember the first time I found money on the ground. I was a kid, and I was at a family reunion in Northern California, and it was like a big campground, and I was walking into the shower room after after taking a, a, a swim, and there was a $10 bill on the ground. Now, $10 back then was a whole lot of money, especially to a kid. Um, I could go to the, the little store and buy up almost all the candy they had. Not really, but I mean, it just felt like, like you know, this huge windfall. And, um, and that's the thing. It's, it's fun to find money on the ground. Not a ton. <laughs> right? If I find 500 bucks, I feel obligated to find the person who dropped it, you know, but if it's like five or 10 bucks in a random place, like if it's in a store, that's, you still got to, you know, um, but, but, you know, you find it in a random place, it's like bonus, you know, it's nice, it's nice. Um, you know what, you know what never, you know what, you, you know what never is? What, how do I put this? You know what's old every time? Finding a $10 bill on the ground, picking it up, and finding out that it's a chick tract. You ever, you ever do that? There are, these, there are these little tracks about Jesus that look like a $10 bill. And so, you pick them up. Like people, when I used to wait tables, people would leave them as tips. And I would walk up and I'd be like, sweet, $10 tip was a nice tip, especially back in the day. And I'd be like, sweet. And I'd pick it up and be like, Jesus loves you. And I'm like, great, that doesn't pay my bills, right? Thank you. It would have been nice if you would have wrapped it in a real $10 bill. You know, like like that that kind of gets that gets old. Um, it's like a little Jesus juke. You know what I'm saying? Like, ah, you thought you got money? No, but I'm going to give you Jesus. Um, so this morning, I'm going to give you something really good that's better than money, and it's not a Jesus juke. It actually is better than money. Um, I'm going to give you some incredible news. Right? We are in Romans eight, and we are unpacking um, the blessing of the Father. And this morning, we're kind of coming to this end of this section. And and I'm telling you, man, it's the best news you can imagine. It is the best news you can imagine. You have already been given the absolute best gift that a sovereign God could give. The God of the universe has given you a gift that is better than any other gift. Not only anybody else could give you, but He Himself could give you. He has given you the best gift. You could ever receive whatever good news you're hoping for this news is better whatever blessing you want to receive this is better in fact this is the blessing in which every other blessing resides this is the gift in which every other gift is given and that very simply is the gift of justification and this morning, we're going to see that in that, he has given you the gift of resurrection. Whatever problem you're facing, this solution is better than any other solution. D.A. Carson wittily put it. He said, uh, he said um, there's nothing wrong with me that a good resurrection won't fix which is a a very simple way of saying that it is the solution to every problem he faces. It is greater than any other blessing he could receive, right? And listen, it's true for me, right? Whether I'm facing physical illness or threat or loss, but it's true for the world too because because what the world needs is a resurrection, right? We need this age, this dying age to just die (laughs) and a new one to be born. The age of righteousness, the age uh, in which Christ returns and, and He reigns in justice and we live in the fullness and the flourishing of life, right? We are in the death throes of the age of man before a new humanity is born in the image of Christ. This is the ultimate blessing of our justification. Everything will be redeemed. Everything will be made new. And death isn't final. All right, let's take a look at our text, uh, Romans 8. Uh, and uh, we're looking specifically this morning at verses 9 through 11. I'm going to go ahead and start back in verse 1. This is one big thought, this whole paragraph, 1 through 11, is one big thought. We've, we've spent a number of weeks sitting in it because it is complex. Um, and, uh, and, and it just flows, right? It just builds on itself. It is, it is a paragraph of the Father's blessing, right? So let's start in verse 1. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can. not Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, All right, this is a proclamation of the Father's blessing, right? This is a proclamation of, of, of the blessing that God gives, right? We are, uh, as believers in Christ, um, the wandering sons, right? The, prodigal, the, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the two sons, right? The younger son who went wandering and wastefully, uh, you know, ruins himself and ultimately finds himself in a pigsty. Uh, before he comes to his senses and realizes that being a servant in his father's house would be better than being a king in his own kingdom. (laughs) And and so, he runs home, right? Covered in his shame, covered in his filth, covered in his rebellion. That's us, man. We come covered in our rebellion, covered in our shame. We come to him offering him nothing but our sin. That's all we can give him, is to come and give him uh, our shame and our brokenness, our sin and our guilt, and instead of being rejected, We find that we are welcomed. He runs to us. He embraces us. He proclaims his blessing over us. There is, therefore, now no condemnation. Everything that was worthy of condemnation in us has been condemned, but it was condemned in him instead of in us. He became human, he became flesh. Um, It was only in the likeness of sinful flesh, but it was actual flesh. He was human just like we are, yet without sin. And because of that, he was worthy to become the substitutionary sacrifice we needed. He died in our place. He died under the weight of our condemnation. He took our judgment for us. Our sin was condemned. It just wasn't condemned in us. It was condemned in him. And in doing so, he ended up doing what the law could never do right? He, he accomplished what the law couldn't accomplish. He, uh, when the Father sent the Son to die in our place and He died uh, under the weight of our guilt and then rose again, having paid the price fully, uh, and we receive that by grace. We believe in Him. We are indwelt by the Spirit, right? The Spirit comes in and does what the law couldn't do. The law could, could, could restrain bad behavior it could punish bad behavior, it could change the, the outworking of our behavior, but it had no power to transform the source of our behavior. It had no power to address the, the deep disordered desires that lead us to want to rebel against God. The Spirit of God comes in and dwells us and does what the law could never do. He actually works at the deepest level of our motivations. He meets us in the place of our deepest need. He doesn't address our behavior, he meets us in our our yearning for love he meets us in our isolation and our need uh, to try to prove ourselves and and instead calls us to rest in his love right Um, the spirit works from the inside out we don't labor any longer longer to keep the law as as paul says um, we are becoming the righteous requirement of the law in other words he is transforming us not to keep the law but to become actually the fulfillment of the law jesus fulfilled the law and, and He's transforming us from the inside out so that we'll become more and more like Jesus. Right? That's, that's the process. Um, and even that is a process of grace, right? We, we receive justification, this gift of goodness from God by grace, and we change by grace. It's all His blessing. It's all part of this blessing of, of the Father, right? Um, we are no longer in the flesh as a result. We are in the Spirit. And this is what we talked about last week, right? We dug into this quite a bit. We are either in the flesh or in the Spirit. Um, And we looked at those center verses where where Paul describes in great detail what it means to be in the flesh, right? And we're talking here about our standing before God, not our personal experience of God. We're talking about our position before God, not our performance for God. God. We're talking about what happens as a result of God's declaration over us that we are justified, that we are right because Jesus died for us and rose again. Um, Verses 8 and 9 make this clear, okay? In verses 8 and 9, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. These verses make it clear that he's not talking about our process of change, sanctification. He's talking about the gift of justification, uh, the, that our standing, this is where we are in our relationship with God. We are in the Spirit. Uh, now, last week, this, this we, we looked at this in great depth, um, verses 5 through 8. And, and this week, when I was talking about it with, with our community group, um, I just was, was kind of rattling around, and, and it became clear to me that, that um, I needed to, well, I, I can explain it more clearly. Uh, that was kind of the, this is, so, so this, di- the difference between being in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, being in the flesh instead of walking in the flesh is a critical distinction. And, and so, um, I'm going to go old school this morning. I'm going to use technology, like from the 90s, I don't know. Not, not super old school, like when I, when I first started teaching, I, uh, I had a chalkboard. Do you guys remember those things? Black slate and, and uh, like I actually had chalkboards. I actually threw erasers at students who fell asleep in class. Back in the day, we could do that. Now, usually I would miss and it would just hit the wall next to them and then cover them in a big cloud of chalk, which was fun. Uh, And if anybody got in real trouble, I gave them the job of, of, uh, you know, cleaning the erasers, which was always a messy job. Some of you guys are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You missed out, I'm telling you. (laughs) You missed out. It was very tactile. It was very, you know, it's like we think technology makes things better. Sometimes it robs us, right? I love chalkboards. Anyway, all that to say. when we are reading this, uh, there is a distinction between being in the flesh and, and in the Spirit, right? And, and these are two different standings before God. And, and, and when Paul says um, uh, in verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. He is describing a way of standing or existing before God that is defined by the flesh. Now, remember when we use the word flesh, we're not talking about the meaty part of our… Am I out of the camera? All right, am I better? Sorry. i got to find out where to stand. Um, We're not talking about the meat on your bones as much as uh, Paul uses shorthand for in the flesh to describe um, the residing of our rebellion against God residing in our body. So, to stand in the flesh um, is to to ultimately, he says, experience death, all right? Now, remember, death is not um, cessation of being. It is separation. That's the essence of death, right? So, So, spiritual death is being separated from God, the source of life. Physical death is when we are separated from our bodies, uh, the, the source of our embodied existence. We are uh, designed to be bodied creatures. Uh, we always will be, right? The, 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 our bodies, you're not going to leave it behind. You're not going to become something you're not. You were designed to be human. You are an animal, and you will always be an animal in some ways because that's the way God designed you, right? Death is separation, right? So, we talked about how those who are in the flesh work from death to death. They work from separation from God, and everything they devise to do leads in greater separation from God, right? Um, and, and no matter what you do, even if you use a God-given tool like the Mosaic Law, it only leads to greater separation from, uh, from God, right? We talked about this in, in uh, Romans 5, how God gave the law not so that we can become closer to God, right? When I talk about the law, I'm talking about the Ten Commandments, right? The, the thou shalt not stuff, right? There's, there's like 500 and some odd commands in the Old Testament that actually make up the Mosaic Law. And the law was never given to actually uh, deliver us uh, or change us or transform us. It was given to make us aware of how sinful we were because what the law does is it shows us our sin and actually increases our sin, right? Um, And so, no matter, even all of our self-improvement projects, all of our efforts in this realm, um, we're in the realm of flesh, we're working from death to death, even if we use the law, it all only magnifies sin. Now, this is me. I'm waving at you. All right, so that's me, right? That's you. That's every unbeliever outside of Christ. And uh, yeah, I'm meaty. Um, I'm in the realm of flesh, and I am motivated by flesh. So, what, this represents the fact that, that my fundamental desires for life are disordered. You guys follow that language, right? Like, like, I want good things, but they're pointed at wrong things, right? I want security, so I try to find it my job or my 401k, I want to feel loved, but I try to find it in a series of relationships or experiences. I I want to feel rest, deep soul rest, but I try to find it in the distraction of of, uh, whatever, the world. Um, I, I want to feel, so I have deep desires that are good desires. They're actually designed to be fulfilled in God, but I live in this realm. This is why every self-improvement project fails, because you can't get out of this realm. Whatever tools you have available to you in this realm cannot get you out of this realm. Like, you cannot get out of the flesh because you're working from death to death. Even if you use a God-given tool, you will turn it into simply a weapon of destruction. It can't get you out, right? You are hopeless and helpless in this environment. Now, this is a, a terrifying picture of humanity. Uh, it, is, it, is, um, uh, it is hopeless, and it's beyond hopeless. It, 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 it is the image of despair, because you can never stop desiring good things, which drives you to continue to do the things you think will get you to it. Those things never get you there. This is disappointment upon disappointment. Disappointment, separation, upon separation, upon separation, isolation on top of isolation on top of isolation. C.S. Lewis, in his novel *The Great Divorce*, um, describes a fictitious journey of some people on a bus to go visit people on the outskirts of hell. Uh, it's a great novel, by the way. Uh, it's a short short story in some ways, but I highly recommend it. Um, but but these people go to visit these people who who are are in the darkness. And basically inviting them to get on the bus, to come with them back to God's country, to come back with them to, to heaven. Um, and what they find is that every single person they meet won't get on the bus because they are uh, determined to pursue life in ways they can never get it. Um, they, they, they are, they are continually moving out into the darkness into greater isolation into greater death and they're determined to do it you know why because they're nursing their old wounds they've got little shrines set up in their homes to wounds they've received and 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 they won't let it go they if i let this go then then i lose who i am i have to judge this person because who else will i will hold them accountable I will despise them, I will, and they have, and they feel like, man, if I pursue God, I'm going to have to let go of this, 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 this shrine I have set up to the woundedness, right? They, they, they rehearse their old glories and, and the disappointments. They, they, they believe they've been robbed in life, so they rehearse their, their, the narratives where they've been denied glory, and, and, and as a result, they're living with, with increasing levels of unjust suffering, right? They're a little bit like, like Rico Dynamite, you guys remember Rico Dynamite, Napoleon Dynamite's older brother? Um, right, Rico, Rico had this, this high school football career, right, where, where he was like on the path to glory, and he dropped a pass in a big game, and it ruined the rest of his life, and he couldn't let it go, right? So every time you see Rico in Napoleon Dynamite, he's recording himself on a VHS for throwing passes because, because he missed he feels robbed of the glory that was his due, right? And no matter how much you try to call Rico into life, he won't, he won't move into life because he's stuck, right? That's how C.S. Lewis describes this is, this is like we will willingly destroy ourselves, feeling completely self-justified, nursing our wounds, mourning our lost glory, instead of of humbly coming to God, we follow these, these impulses. We work from death through deception to destruction. Now, when you believe the gospel, this helpless situation is changed. When you receive the grace of God, extended to you through the substitutionary work of the Son, right? The Father sent the Son to die and rise again for your sins and then invites you to receive the benefit of that through grace. You are no longer in the flesh. You are now in the Spirit. It's a totally different standing before God with totally different boundaries, right? Because in the Spirit, you have life not death, right? You actually have connection with God, the source of life. Your deepest desires can now, in fact, be met in relationship with God, the one who was designed to meet those desires. You can find your security in the strength and sovereignty of God. You can, you can find your worthiness of love in the outpouring of His love. You, you can find your deep soul rest simply resting in the fact that the God of the universe delights in you and has given you every good pleasure to be experienced for His glory and your good, right? He meets you and, and He meets these deepest desires, right? It, is a, it, is, it moves from life to life. Right? Through greater experiences of the blessing, of the flourishing and the fullness of life, right? And instead of the law, the operative force is grace. Undeserved, unmerited love. You work from grace to grace. You received it not because you earned it or deserved it, and you can't lose it. Because if you if you received it by grace, you you stand in grace, right? That's the point of Romans 5. We we stand in a position of grace before God. And because we stand in grace, we are covered in righteousness. That's a big word. All right. We are actually covered in the righteousness of Christ. When I come into the presence of God, he doesn't see Steve the sinner. He sees Steve, the son, actually covered in the act of obedience of his son. I'm actually covered in the beauty of, of Jesus' act of obedience. His righteousness covers me, and God is transforming me into the image of Jesus. I work from righteousness to righteousness through grace because I'm connected to life. So this is fat Steve again, still waving. because I'm in the Spirit, the Spirit is in me. Or another way of actually the way Paul puts it in verse 9 is that because the Spirit is in me, I'm in the Spirit. When I believe in Jesus, I'm indwelt by the Spirit of God, right? Which puts me in the Spirit. I am in the realm of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit dwells in me, The Father sent the Son, the Son fulfilled the mission of dying and rising again, and then when you believe, the Spirit comes and brings the power of that mission, the power of that grace to bear in your life, because He He dwells in you, He resides in you. Not not just as an alien force, This this is relational. He's the love of God, now embodied in you. He's the presence of God coming in and, and taking residence with you, right? He's not just a, a power that comes in and that you can access. He is a person who is now communing with you, walking with you, living with you, because He is the very presence of the love of God, taking residence with you. This is a totally different way of standing before God in this um, my standing before God is bounded by grace life and righteousness I got here by receiving the gift of grace having received the gift of grace I receive with it all the blessings of the spirit because of this it's a totally different way of doing life here, my disordered desires were the only thing driving my behavior. I want you to notice that when I come over here, I still have my disordered desires, right? So, as a believer, you can still act in the flesh. Does that make sense? You still sin. You're like, yeah, Dusty, I do it all the time. Yeah, me too. Okay, I do too. And in fact, you now have inside of you two conflicting desires, two conflicting forces, right? If you want to read about it, read Galatians 5. Galatians 5 is a a graphic description of the internal turmoil that results from having both the flesh and the Spirit, right? Because we're continually tempted to do the works of the flesh, right? Which is trying to find life apart from the God who gives it, trying to be independent from God, trying to, to be my own God, But I also have embedded in me this desire to walk in the Spirit, to walk in humble submission to God, to walk in relationship with God, to respond lovingly and humbly to God. And and I will, as a result of that, either be doing the works of the flesh or bearing the fruit of the Spirit. That's That's the nutshell of Galatians 5, right? But what I want you to see is where is that battle taking place? Out here or in here? It's taking place in here this battle does not affect anything out here. The struggle in here doesn't determine whether you're here or here. It takes place in a completely new standing before God. That struggle is your current reality, but it doesn't change the reality of where you stand before God. The gift of justification is that your personal struggle has no bearing on your ultimate standing before God. You are secure not because you are good. You are secure because He was good on your behalf. You are not secure because of what you do. You are secure because of what He has done. You do not have the ability to undo the resurrection of Christ. You cannot undo through your works, what you have received by grace. You are absolutely secure in Christ because you are in the Spirit, because the Spirit is in you. The gift of justification. The gift of justification is an irrevocable declaration from God that you are right with God. The gift of justification is the embodiment of of the fullness of God's acceptance. It is forgiveness for your sins, past, present, future, all of them. It is adoption into the family. You are now God's child. In, in John 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. You're friends of Jesus, yeah, even in your sinful state. Romans 8:29, the verse that I told you last week is the center of Romans 8, and in fact, the center of the entire book of Romans, says that you are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. You are the siblings of Jesus. You are adopted into the family. He will shape you into the image of His Son. Why? Because you are in the Spirit, and the entire process is the gift of grace. He will do this work in you. So how do you get from here to here? By receiving the gift of grace. It's not a work you do. It is simply a humility of spirit that comes and receives a gift. It is when we stop trying to earn what we can never accomplish. And we we just simply come with our need. We come with our sin. And we say, you have to give me what I can't do. You have to give me what I can't earn. And when we do, we're given it all. The blessing of the Father. He lays His hands upon us. And we are Blessed, y'all. This is a uniquely Christian view of reality. I have I have friends who believe that really all religions are the same. That that when you really get down to it, um, any religious path kind of takes you to the same place, and and uh, I would argue that that is illogical, um, and in fact not very honoring. Um, to other world religions (laughs) because you're trying to make them say things they don't say. Um, We need to allow them to speak for themselves, right? Buddhism, the the way you get out of this, like we all agree there's a problem. But for Buddhism, the way you get out of this problem is to actually learn to nullify the desires, the disordered desires. Freedom in Buddhism is freedom from desire. So if you can get to a place where you desire nothing, then you can be free. Well, Christianity says the the key isn't to desire nothing, it's to have your disordered desires reordered so that they desire the good thing, so that you actually do desire the good gifts of God, food and drink and and love and and feasting and productivity and goodness, right? The key isn't to suppress the desires, to nullify the desires, but to express the desires in a way that actually connects you to the fullness of life, Right? Uh, Hinduism says that the way you, you get out of this is through successive uh, iterations of reincarnation. And each time you build either good karma or bad karma, and, and the idea is that if you do enough good things, it transforms you into a good person so that if, if, if through a series of lives you can become a better and better and better person, you might ultimately be delivered from this. Islam says that the path to freedom is submission. Uh, The word Muslim literally means submitter, one who submits. And so in Islam, they believe that your standing before God is is directly related to your performance to God, which is why they they have extreme forms of obedience. Martyrdom in Islam is seen as the ultimate uh, expression of obedience. And it outweighs all the bad, that's why they believe anybody who is a martyr immediately is ushered into um, paradise. Because that's the best good work you could possibly do, and it outweighs any of the bad works you might have done. Every single one of the world's religions basically says you have to do something to deliver yourself. You have to do better, try harder. Christianity says it's not about you doing better and trying hard. It's you recognizing you're trapped, helpless and hopeless. And then come that helplessness to simply receive grace. And in receiving grace, you'll receive what you can never earn. You'll be given what you could never accomplish on your own. You'll receive the blessing of the Father. Justification, forgiveness, forgiveness adoption, transformation. He'll deliver you not just from the penalty but from the power and ultimately even from the presence. All right, let's take a look at our next two verses. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead. All right, so we have these physical bodies that carry death. (laughs) No surprise, right? We all have an expiration date. We know this right? Sickness, disease, um, uh, frailty of, of simply uh, being mortal creatures, right? When we become believers, we bring these broken bodies with us into this new relationship we have with God. Even though we have these frail, mortal bodies, um, we have an even greater force than, than the death we carry, and that is the spirit of life, right? But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, not because of your personal sin, but because of the inherited sin, right? Uh, our first parents introduced death into the created order. Um, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Um, even though I carry within me, I carry this body, I have the source of life. Like it doesn't say that the spirit is a living being, or even that the Spirit is alive. It says that the Spirit is life. I have the source of life dwelling within my mortal body. I remember when I watched Star Wars the first time. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's a little, little indie flick that was kind of popular in the 70s, um, but I saw it when I was a kid, and I remember when I saw it, there was this one scene where Obi-Wan Kenobi is facing off with, with Darth Vader, and, and Darth Vader, and they're going back and forth with their lightsabers and, and Obi-Wan looks at, at Darth Vader and says, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can now imagine. And he just lifts his lightsaber. And you're like, what? And then, you know, Darth Vader strikes him down and he kind of disappears and whatever. That, re- okay, Luke's view of life is very different than mine, okay? But in that moment, like, that's a pretty good image. You carry within you the source of life. Death isn't, death is your enemy because death is, is, is not part of God's intended purpose for creation. But death's been defeated. Death is your enemy, but, but death's been defeated. You have the source of life actually dwelling. Life himself dwells within your mortal body. Do you realize that you are immortal? That life himself dwells in you. Like like, what do you have to lose that you cannot regain? What do you have to fear that can threaten that? Life himself dwells in you. There's no pain, there's no loss, there's no suffering that life can throw at you, that the spirit will not redeem. Scripture tells us that when Christ returns and we experience the resurrection, He will wipe away every tear. He will right every wrong. He will fix everything that's been broken. There will be resurrection, and in the resurrection, you will not only receive a new body, He will undo what has been done. Life Himself dwells in you. Though the body is dead, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Not mine, his. I am connected to God because I am righteous. Covered in the very righteousness of Christ. And because of that righteousness, because of the work Jesus did to deliver me into the Father's blessing, life himself dwells in me. Verse 11 And if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same person that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Do you realize this is better than winning the lottery? A little bit, maybe. Like Jeff Bezos, for all of his money, for all of his 500-foot yachts, for all of his private islands, you know what he doesn't have unless he's a follower of Christ? Resurrection. The spirit of life. You can gain the whole world, but what does it gain you if you lose your soul? What does it gain you if it doesn't gain you connection with life Himself? And if you receive connection with life Himself, you receive with Him everything else. There is no blessing you desire that you have not already been given. You have not yet experienced all the blessing you've been given, but you will. Because in this gift comes every other gift. In the resurrection comes the setting right of all that is wrong. The restoration of all that has been lost. The blessing that you crave. He who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and he will unleash that same power in you and you will be raised and restored. And you will be conformed fully and finally to the image of His Son. You will be like Jesus. You, will, you were created in the image of God, and in the resurrection you will be recreated in the image of Jesus. And in that day, all will be set right. Philippians 1:6 says, "I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. The body will be alive as Jesus' body is alive, the spirit The Spirit will be the core of your motivations. You will no longer have death in your body or the impulse of rebellion in your heart. You realize that in that day, you will be able to follow any impulse of your heart. Every desire will be for good. Every movement toward productivity or rest will be an expression of your connection with God. It will be an offering of gratitude to God and joy to God and a receiving of life from God. This is your future. This is guaranteed to you in the resurrection of Christ. This is the blessing in which every other blessing resides. Because there is no condemnation, there is the fullness of life. This is good news. It's good news. It's not advice. It's not three easy steps. It is good news to be received, and it is good news to be responded to. Because as we respond to this good news of love, our hearts respond in love. And that unleashes the transformation that we're going to talk more about next week. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. We're going to share communion. <clears throat> and then uh, we'll sing some more. Let me pray for us. Father, we, uh, we thank you. I, the, the, the news is so good, Lord. I'm going to be honest, it's hard to believe. Like, like, it is so counterintuitive. It is so ridiculously and erratically good that, that uh, sometimes I wonder, And yet it is the very thing I most deeply desire. I want to experience your presence. I want to walk in freedom. I want... I'm so tired of my internal struggle. I'm so tired of, of a world that is thrashing, trying to find life in death trying to find life and defeating and destroying trying to find life and keeping what i have and getting more i'm so tired lord will you meet us in our weariness will you spirit awaken our hope will you will you deepen our faith will you strengthen our courage as we re- simply receive this good news in faith, as we receive this good news and allow it to shape our vision of life, allow it to shape our daily interactions with ourselves, with others, with our jobs, with our, with our, with our cul-de-sacs, with, with our neighborhoods, that, that, that we would recognize that we are eternal beings made alive, that we stand in the Spirit covered in righteousness, given the greatest blessing we can ever imagine. Lord, will You free us into the boldness, into the into the comfort, into the security of knowing that because we are in Christ, we've been given all of this and more. Awaken us Lord. Deepen our trust. Allow us to taste this joy. And to start yearning in this hope. We thank you for this gift. That you have done what we couldn't do. And you've given what we could never earn. We thank you for your love. And we pray all of this in the beautiful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen.